Good morning, Warehouse Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good morning to our mission team here today, Crossroads Missions. You guys are from today. Your, your church, where's your, where are you all from? Massachusetts. Got it. And Rhode Island. All right. Church, let's welcome this crew here today. It's good to have you all with us. I just want to say what an honor it is for me to be here today. This, this is home to me. This is where uh, I grew up. This is where I'm from. This is where I like to call home. I'm so thankful for what God has done in and through Warehouse Church. So thankful for Pastor Rick inviting me here today and so thankful for all that he is doing to lead this church uh, in this season and what God is doing in and through you guys. So I just want to encourage you. Taylor and I pray for you often and we pray that God will continue to use you to transform lives through relationships in this community, in this region. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through you. So happy to be here today. Uh, if this is your first time here today, as Michael said earlier, uh, we just want to welcome you and we just want to say thank you for being being here. Uh, this church is all about transforming relationships. And uh, over the past few weeks, uh, we have been diving into the book of Mark. Uh, and so Pastor Rick has been doing a great job. I've been watching you guys some online. And so thankful for what Rick is, has led us up to today. And today he asked me to, to speak in the 10th chapter of the book of Mark. And to be honest with you, when he first sent me the scripture, I was like, I don't know, Rick. I don't know if I can do this because I've never preached on this scripture before. It's kind of an odd scripture. Not sure if I want to preach on it. Tried to get out of it a couple times. He kept coming back to me saying, no, I want you to preach on this scripture. I was like, okay, you're going to have to help me. So Rick helped me uh, get this together today. And I'm so thankful for his leadership and friendship and what he's doing through, uh, what God is doing through him here. So I want to introduce you guys um, into this chapter, into this scripture. Um, before we do that, I want to tell you a little story. So I don't know if you guys are any, uh, any of you are Indiana Jones fans. Anybody? Like, yeah. like four decades of Indiana Jones has been going on uh, since the 1981 is when the first movie came out. Just this past week, if you don't know me, uh, I have two kids and my beautiful wife Taylor sitting on the second row over here. Much more beautiful than I. Um, and I don't deserve her. But anyway, so our two kids, I didn't hear it. I heard Brian say amen in the back. I'm a little bit hurt by that. But anyway... Um, so we introduced Lincoln, our six-year-old, to Indiana Jones a couple weeks ago. And so we, I wanted to go back and start lit, watching because we love to go to the movies. And so we wanted to kind of get our feet wet with Indiana Jones films again so we can go to the movies and watch it. And everybody's going to be involved and they'll know what's going on. So um, we let Lincoln and Elena, Elena just kind of tuned out in the first couple of minutes. But Lincoln, I was kind of surprised that he stuck it out and kind of went with us on this journey for, through the first episode uh, of uh, Indiana Jones. But... <clears throat> In this series, the, the third installment of Indiana Jones, if you will, it's called The Last Crusade. Indy's father is searching for the Holy Grail or eternal life, right? And so if you've seen this before, he gets lost during his search and Indy has to, his dad gets lost during his search and he has to go find his dad and uh, after he defeats the snakes and Nazis and he finally makes it to the Holy Grail. Then when he gets to the Holy Grail, he finds the Holy Grail amongst all of these other fake grails, right? And the only way for him to find out which one is the actual Holy Grail is if he drinks from it. But he has to drink from the right one because if he drinks from the wrong one, he's going to die. So he has to make a wise choice. So that's kind of sets us up for today because, uh, of course, there's no Holy Grail. But there is a reason a movie was made about the idea of a Holy Grail. You see, the world is looking for the Holy Grail in eternal life. 
The world is looking for eternal life, and the world is full of deadly false hope. The Gospel of Mark is something like an Indiana Jones film. Like there's a lot of craziness and chaos, there's adventure, there's snakes, there are those that are lost and those that are found. And then there's a man that we find that's on a journey to find eternal life. And we meet him in Mark chapter 10. In fact, he appears in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew actually tells us that he's a young man. Luke tells us that he's a ruler. And then all three of the gospels, the synoptic gospels, tells us that he's rich and he's on a search for eternal life. We're going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31 together. It's kind of long, so I hope that you read along either in the Bible app with us or on the screen. Make sure you read along with us. It says this, As he was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, talking about Jesus, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing that you haven't done, Jesus told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you're going to have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, or the NIV says sorrowful. For he had many possessions. And then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard, is it, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed the disciples. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. And then Jesus replied and he said, And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who are seem the least important now will be the greatest then. Father God, thank you for this day, and thank you for this opportunity to speak your word. I pray that it becomes real to us, and that your spirit moves in and through us to show us exactly what you want us to take from this message today, so that we can be followers of of you. In Jesus Christ's name, everybody says, amen. amen. So here we meet the, the, the rich young ruler, and he meets Jesus face to face. And he asks him about eternal life. And so this morning, we're going to explore what that means as well. We're going to explore what eternal life is, the path to it, the impossibility of it, and the promise of it. And so the first thing we're going to start with is the path to eternal life. 
You see, we all have different experiences and perspectives when it comes to eternal life. Because many of us have lost someone in our lives. So we've lost a grandma or a, a grandpa, uncles, aunts, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, cousins, family members, friends. We've all lost someone. And every time we lose someone, we are reminded that death is not the end, right? And so we're reminded that there's something after death, eternal life, if you will. And we're reminded that because of that, there are consequences of our actions here in this earth. On this earth, we all have different perspectives and experiences on how to get to heaven. And so sometimes we can conclude, even if we don't mean to, we can conclude that all roads lead to heaven. Now, I don't want this to come out harsh, and I hope that you'll hear my heart behind it. But hear me when I say this I believe this is true. And here's how I know it's true I've done a lot of funerals, I've preached a lot of funerals uh, in my ministry. Listen to almost any funeral sermon and you come, around, come away thinking that the only requirement to get into heaven after you die is to die. Like that's the only requirement. I know that sounds harsh and I hope you hear my heart behind it, but we sometimes think everyone's going to heaven because they're a good person. They did more good than bad. It doesn't matter what they believed because hell's only for really, really bad people, right? We sometimes, even if we don't say that out loud... Sometimes we believe that that is true. But the problem is, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The path to heaven is, isn't wide. It's a narrow path. The door to heaven is not wide. It's a narrow door. Not all paths lead to heaven. We can't make our way or earn our way into heaven. We must follow God's way. And His way is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If we refuse him, we don't go to heaven. It's as easy as that. And that brings us to the rich man that we find in Mark chapter 10. He's searching for a way into eternal life or into heaven. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see what's happening here is this guy, he was spiritually troubled. Like he was spiritually troubled. He sensed something was missing in his life. I wonder if you're, you've been there. Maybe you're there this morning. You're spiritually troubled. There's something going on inside of you that you really can't put your finger on, but you know that something's missing inside of you. This guy, maybe you're, maybe you're here this morning, you're a good person. You try to follow the rules. You try to make good decisions. You try to honor your father and your mother. You try to obey whatever the laws of the land are. You make good choices. You help people. You want to please somewhere, even deep down, you actually want to please God and you want heaven to be your home whenever you die. Yet there's this uncertainty that you just can't shake. Something inside of you that you just can't shake. What do you do with that? What do you, what do, you do with that uncertainty? Where can you find the answer to that longing? And that's where this rich young ruler was. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, you and I need certainty. We need the certainty that only God can give. Until then, no matter how much wealth, no, much, no matter how many possessions that we have, no matter how much fame that we have, no matter how big our house is, or how big our bank account is, no matter how big our car is, all these things can't help us with the uncertainty that we just can't shake. And that's all the rich 
young man could see. This guy had it all. Like in worldly terms, he had it all, but he was still searching for something more, something of eternal significance. And Jesus saw his uncertainty, and ultimately, that uncertainty is the reason verse 22 says that he walked away sad, or he walked away in the NIV sorrowful. But how'd we get there? Like just a moment ago, we saw the guy for the first time and he was actually optimistic. How do we go from optimism to sorrow or sadness so quickly? Here's how, and I want you to hear me when I say this. He came to Jesus to ask a question, but he wouldn't follow him to find the answer. Guys, you have to hear this. He came to Jesus with a question, but he wouldn't follow Jesus to find the answer. He didn't want to. You see the difference? He came to the right person at the right time in the right way, but he wouldn't repent and believe because he was looking for something to do, not someone to follow. He just wanted something to do. He wanted to make his, his own way to heaven, but there's only one path to eternal life. And Jesus was there to show him that path. But he didn't see it because, because he trusted in himself. Rather than trusting in Jesus, he was looking for something spiritual, a spiritual thing that he can add on. He was looking for something spiritual to add to his life, like a new spiritual discipline or a new habit or a healthier lifestyle. Just like add a little Jesus, get some sleep, and you'll feel better in the morning, right? Sometimes that's what we're looking for. Just add a little something to get what we want. But Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't point you to the way because Jesus is the way. He doesn't say, do this, do this, and do this, and then you'll earn eternal life. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We can't earn our way to heaven, guys. We can't accumulate enough possessions and enough things in this life in order to win heaven. It's impossible. Christianity isn't an add-on thing. It's a whole new life. If you want eternal life, it only comes through Jesus, you must surrender your righteousness and replace it with his righteousness. Man, that is freeing. I don't know if you hear, heard me this morning, but that is so freeing. You must interchange your righteous acts, your ability to do good, be good, feel good, work good for his righteousness. If you get hold of that this morning, if you don't walk away with anything else, that is so freeing to us. So freeing. So Jesus, Jesus deconstructs this man's, man's idea of himself. He wants to know, the guy wants to know what to do. So Jesus tells him, look, look at their conversation in verse 19 through 20. He says this, Jesus basically says, you must know the commandments and do them. The man says, okay, we're good. We're good. I've been following those commandments all my life. We're good, right? I know the commandments. I do the commandments. Jesus, you and I are good. I'm a good person. The man says, I've been doing this all my life. You notice what Jesus doesn't say. I believe that if, if this guy had been a bad guy in societal standards, that Jesus would have said, no, no, you haven't been good. You really haven't been following the commandments. You're a bad guy. You're not a good guy. Jesus probably would have pointed that out to him, but so... I believe that he was probably a good guy, worldly standards, and that was the problem. The problem was that he was a good guy. He was trying to do good. He was trying to make good decisions and help people. He was trusting in his goodness. 
He was trusting in his goodness, and he thought that there was some other good that he can do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus plays by his rules. I love it when Jesus does this. He plays by his rules for a moment. And he says, okay, all right. If you want to do it this way, then go sell all that you have, give to the poor. And you're going to have treasure in heaven to come later on and follow me. He says, go sell, give, come and follow. But this is really hard for the, for the young man because it overturns his entire life. It overturns his entire life. What's the most important law, folks? Talk back to me right now. What's the most important law? The first commandment, what is it? What is it? Love God. Love God and no one else, like love God above all things. The first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. God's a, or God's a jealous God. So Jesus says, if you call me good and only God is good, then obey this. Make me your only possession. Attach your life to me alone. Make me your only possession. If that's what you want to do, you want to do this your way, make me your only possession. Go, sell, give, come, follow. Then you'll have an eternal life. Why? Because I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. So go, sell, give, come, and follow. So Jesus laid out the path for the rich young ruler. And guess what? It's the same path for you and I today. It's the same path for us today. But the rich guy, he couldn't do it. It was just too much for him. He was so disheartened and sorrowful and sad because he had so many nice things, possessions. He wanted life abundant, but he couldn't part with the abundance in his life. That's what he wanted. To lose his money would have been to lose himself. But that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. We must lose ourselves in order to find him. The path opened before this young man. The answer to his question was there, but he wouldn't follow. And that takes us to our next point. The impossibility of eternal life. The path to it, the impossibility of it. Jesus looked at his disciples and he says this, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Guess what? I don't know if you realize this or not. I've, used to, I've done this all my life pretty much. But that's a statement. It's not a question. He wasn't asking the disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into heaven? He actually says, it's a statement. Sometimes I, got, I get it and is uh, uh, flip-flop. But he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let's be clear. I want to be clear this morning. Hear me when I say this. Jesus was not rejecting the wealthy. That's not the point to this. He's not rejecting people that have money. If you heard that from me or him today, that's not what he's doing. I hope you follow along a little closer. He goes on and he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, when I read the scripture, I always thought that he was talking about literally a little needle, a little tiny needle, and a camel going through that eye, right? Anybody else? Just me? Okay, all right. Well, guess what? That's not what he's talking about here. In Jerusalem, or in, in, um, um, uh, in the city at that time, there was this gate called the eye of the needle. 
And so it was a really small place. It was a really small gate. And so a camel, a camel would have to bend down really far, put his head down really far, squeeze himself in. It would be hard for me too these days. But anyway, squeeze himself in. You laugh, brother. That is not nice. Wow. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Anyway, squeeze himself in to get through the eye of a needle. It was possible, but it was very, very difficult. But that's not what Jesus meant. You see, what Jesus is actually saying here is that a camel is the biggest animal in Israel. The eye of the needle is the smallest opening. Jesus is saying, you know what's absolutely impossible? A big, fat, smelly camel fitting through a tiny hole. That's impossible. You know what's even more impossible? Humans or someone getting into heaven. It's impossible. It's impossible for some a human being to earn their way into heaven. Jesus is telling us that salvation is not something that we can earn or accomplish. It's not some, an add-on to something we're already doing. No matter how much we can do, we can never get ourselves into heaven. We can never earn our salvation. God, stop trying. Man, that is so powerful. So, so powerful. You can't earn yourself into heaven. No matter how much you do, you can never earn yourself into heaven. We're a big, fat, smelly camel trying to fit through the narrow gate of holiness that God requires, and we can't do it. We just can't do it. Guess what else he says? That feels like there's no hope, right? It feels like there's no hope. Like we're just a big, fat, smelly camel, can't fit through the eye of a needle. Guess what he says next? With, can y'all read it with me? With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Amen? Amen. Guess what? It is impossible for you to earn yourself a way into heaven. But not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. But what are the things that Jesus is talking about here? Guess what he's talking about? He's talking about things like making fishermen fishers of men. He's talking about things like casting out unclean spirits to make people clean. He's talking about touching an untouchable thing and making it clean. He's talking about things like healing a paralytic and asking him to rise up and walk. He's talking about things like restoring a withered hand or things like calming a storm with his voice alone. Things like walking on water or, thing, water or things like taking a few loaves and fish and making a feast in the desert. He's talking about those kinds of things which we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark. For all of our impossibility, Jesus shows us that everything is possible through Him. Every time we look at things and say, that's impossible, Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. Because all things are possible through me. The disciples, man, they, just like us, just like we would have, have thought uh, right after Jesus said this to them, he says, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Guess what? You can. You can be saved. But before you can be saved, Jesus has to deal with you. Before you can be saved, Jesus has to deal with you. The real you, not the you that you pretend to be. 
Guess what he does? Oh man, hear me when I say this. He removes ever, every effort that you have, that you and I have, every effort to earn ourselves a place into heaven, and he replaces it with his finished work on the cross. Every effort that you and I have to earn ourselves a place is replaced with the finished work. Jesus is our only hope of heaven. Jesus is our only hope of heaven. This was the offer that Jesus made to this young man, but he didn't trust Jesus enough to surrender and believe. But you can. You and I can trust Jesus and believe. Why not lay down all that you've built up, all your acts of righteousness, all your good deeds, all your wealth, all of your attempts to earn God's love and let Jesus transform your life. Man, I hope you hear me this morning. It's so freeing to know that we can't earn ourselves a place in heaven. It's so free. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable when you give those things up. But he's given you heaven in return. Not just heaven, but your reward is here and now as well. When I was growing up in church, I always used to hear about heaven. Oh, this life is terrible and everything is bad. And one day it's going to be different. One day it's going to be different. And that's true. It is true. But guess what? Jesus came to bring heaven on earth as well. To bring his kingdom on earth as well. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? We don't have to wait for heaven to, to have eternal life. We can have eternal life here and now as well. Guys, this is good. This is really good. The peace that surpasses all understanding is what you gain. The assurance that you're right with God, His grace, His mercy, those gifts are invaluable. And that brings me to my last point. The promise of eternal life. The disciples, they were nervous. I think you and I would have been too. But the disciples, they were nervous. Whenever they heard Jesus say this, then, then Peter probably, the very first one, he's like, what in the world are we going to do? If this guy who's rich and he's a ruler and he's, he owns all these things and he's got a lot of status in the community, if this guy can't make it into heaven, how in the world are we going to make it? That's what he's probably thinking. You may be thinking that this morning as well, but we look at verse 28. Then Peter began to speak up and he said, we've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus replied and he said, and I assure you, that everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and property along with, he threw this in at the end, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. See, Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter. He says, I hear you. I hear your skepticism. I hear your doubt. But Peter, he doesn't get mad at Peter. He comforts him. Remember what Jesus said all the way back in verse 21. He actually promised treasures in heaven. But then Jesus does something that I absolutely love. He responds to Peter and he says, he doesn't respond first about what's to come. He responds to Peter with treasures that are now. Like things that to be enjoyed right now, the promises of God always have both a present and a future implication. When we follow Christ, 
We lack nothing. When we follow Christ, we lack nothing. No matter how much we give up, we cannot outgive God. No matter how much we give up, we cannot outgive God. He doesn't say, well, just wait, Peter, because I know things are bad now, but in heaven everything's going to be great. He doesn't say that. Although that's true, what Jesus is saying here is that we receive so much more than we give up in this life. When we give something up for Jesus, Jesus gives something back to us that's better than what we sacrifice. I don't know if you know that to be true, but I know that to be true. I've lived it. When I've sacrificed things in my life, when I've sacrificed time with my family or time with friends or sacrificed home or whatever it may be, he always gives back more than what I lost. I don't know if you heard me this morning, but that's, my, that's what I've experienced and I know that to be true. We have a hard time believing that. We have a really hard time believing that. We left our house, well, God gave us the church. We left our brothers and sisters and mother. Well, God gave us one another, brothers and sisters and mothers in Christ. We left land where we were comfortable, but God provides wherever we go. Jesus is promising us something that eternal life is as real as your life is right now. But of course, eternal life is way better and we should look forward to it. It's not something that we've ever experienced before. But if we leave our father and follow Jesus, we don't lose a father. We gain a new one, a heavenly one, the one all of us in Christ share together. And if we follow Jesus, we're going to have persecution. He threw that in at the end of that little scripture. Or when he was talking, he threw that in at the end. He said, you're going to have persecution. Guess what? We're going to be persecuted in this life. Or we're going to feel like we're being persecuted. Sometimes we feel like we're being persecuted, but we're not. People are just being mean to us. I get, I, get a, I get a little pamphlet every month that talks about the martyrs, martyrs that, real life martyrs today. Guys, we think we're being persecuted. Sometimes we don't even know what that means. Like there are people today that literally cannot have a Bible in their possession or they will be killed. There are people that if they even speak the name Jesus, they could be killed. But Jesus says, you're going to have persecution. For my name's sake. In Christ, we lose nothing, even, even if we're stripped of all of our worldly possessions. We lose nothing. Suffering for Christ's sake and for the gospel proves that we truly belong to God. It's the way of Jesus. Others will persecute us. They think that we're fools. People look at us and they think that we're fools. When we get up early on a Sunday morning to come out and, and serve people in church, they think we're fools. Why are you doing that? That's foolish. Why not enjoy your Sunday? You're a fool for getting up and doing the things that you're doing. They think that we are foolish. But the only fool is the one who refuses to follow Jesus. That's the one. I'm going to tell you a story. In 1956, a young man by the name of Jim Elliott, he left his family and his ministry opportunities in what he called the well-fed American church to share the gospel with an unreached people group in Ecuador. I don't know if you know this guy or not or you've read anything about him, but it's a really cool story. They actually made a movie out of it called The End of the Sphere. watched it when I was young and it made a huge impact on my life. So if you haven't watched it or you don't know anything about Jim Elliott and his crew and what God is doing in and through still today, this guy and his ministry, I want you guys to check that out. But in 1956, this guy, 
gave up everything in the well-fed, what he called it, the well-fed American church, and he was heading to Ecuador with his entire family and a group of friends. He knew the danger. These, these folks did not know anyone outside of their culture. It's an unreached people group. They knew no one outside of their culture. He knew that there was danger involved, but his desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ was so significant in his life. He knew the danger and he just said, I'm going no matter what. The world may call me a fool, but I'm going because this is what God's called me to do. And guess what happened? Literally the very first time that he walked into the village, he stood on the riverbank, across, probably across the river from him, he saw the very first group of indigenous people in that area and they thrust a spear into his chest and killed him instantly. Before he ever spoke a word to this group of people. Before he ever spoke a word. Killed him. A few months before he went, he, he wrote this sentence in his journal. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Did Jim Elliott waste his life? The world probably would say yes. But by God's standard, he is no fool. When we follow Jesus, even in giving up everything, we lose nothing. Even when you give up everything, you lose nothing when you follow Jesus. Nothing. He will always restore 10, 20, 50, 100 fold every single time. You don't believe me? You don't believe me? I challenge you to trust Him. Surrender it, whatever it is, surrender it, give it up, follow Jesus, you will receive way more than you give up. Do you want to know what the, why the young man walked away sorrowful or sad? He walked away sorrowful or sad because he walked away from Jesus. But you don't have to this morning. You don't have to walk away from Jesus. You might be asking, so what's, how do you get eternal life? How, like, what's the path? How do we get there? You look to Jesus because he is the path. He is the possibility. And Jesus is the promise. He fulfills all three of those things. He's the only way to heaven. That's what he told the rich young ruler. And that's what he's telling you today. Lay down your life. Let him save you. Put your life in his hands. And here's what I, I know to be true more than anything. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. They're not going to be able to do it. He probably, not probably, he knew you before you were ever created. I believe he's known you since the very beginning. And he said, Sam's not going to be able to do that. Clayton can't earn it. So I'm going to do it for him. I'm going to do it for him. He's going to make some good decisions. He's going to make some bad decisions. He's not going to be able to do it for himself. So guess what? I'm going to do it for him. And if he goes through me, he can inherit eternal life. He 
He's calling you today and always into a relationship with Him. He's stripping away hell and He's offering you heaven in return if you'll have it. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for the testimony in these scriptures showing us that we can never earn ourselves a place in eternal life or heaven. It's only through you. It's only through your finished work on the cross, God, that we can inherit eternal life. And I pray for every person in this room or every person that's listening today. I pray, God, that you show us the ways in which we have not surrendered our work to you, the ways in which we're still today, even those of us that have been following you for years, are still today trying to earn ourselves a place in heaven. I pray that today you can free us from the burden of trying to earn salvation or eternal life. I pray today that you break the chains that this world has put on us to make us feel like we have to be good enough in order to be your child. I pray that you break those chains for all of us today and let us realize and know and live today knowing that your grace is enough, that your finished work on the cross is enough, that you have freed us from every effort to earn ourselves a place in your kingdom. And that today you're just asking us to surrender and rest in your plan. Surrender our lives, surrender our efforts, and rest in your plan. That's my prayer for all of us today. May you be glorified among us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would y'all stand with me this morning? Here's the thing. If you're new to this church, or, or this, the way this church does things, this little area up front we consider an altar. Today you have the ability to come down and surrender yourself or surrender anything, honestly. Maybe you've been on this journey for a long time and today you just want to talk to God. You want to kneel down and, and talk to God. This is for you. This is not an altar of shame or judgment. This is a place of grace and celebration. But you want to do that at your, at your seat, wherever you are, just talk to God. Just take a moment. As we sing this song together, just talk to God. Take a moment to talk to Him. I'll be in the second row back here beside of my wife. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I'd love to.